Oscars Death Race podcast, where it ain't over until the final credits roll. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So here we are, uh, toward the end of January. Um, sorry, this episode's a day late. I uh, unfortunately this weekend got very busy uh, playing some Magic: The Gathering uh, at GP New Jersey, and as a result, did not watch very many movies this weekend. So kind of fell behind my planned pacing for the Oscars Death Race, but I pushed off the recording of this episode by a day so I could get a couple more films in so I'd have something more substantive to talk about. So we'll talk about those films, uh, mostly documentaries, uh, almost done with that category, um, as well as uh, where the community stands. Uh, we have, excitingly, our first completion for the Oscars death race, as well as the awards that have come out since then. And then, as always, a bit of a review on the films that I've watched since last time. And then also what I plan what I need to watch uh, and then the plan for what I need to watch, basically. So, uh, without further ado, let's get into where the community stands. So, uh, according to Slight Astronomer 3's uh, Oscar tracking seat, uh, there are 69 nice uh, total participants uh, in the community Oscars death race. Um, the average uh, is uh, out of, again, 53 films, uh, 15 sorts, and 38 uh, feature films. We have an average of 37.5 total completions, about 9.5 sorts, and 28 28 features for about a 73.7% complete rate. Uh, I'm a little bit above that. Uh, I currently am ranked 42nd um, with 31 total films, all of them features, uh, for 77.04 completion rate. However, uh, as no, as mentioned just 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 now, uh, we actually had a completion. Uh, shout out to Somicide for completing the Oscar death race on according to the slide uh, astronaut um, January 22nd. Um, Oh, my apologies. A slight, slight uh, astronomer three. Um, uh, so yeah, shout out to Somicide, uh for completing the Oscar death race uh, and doing what we all have, are trying to do here. Um, but he actually has some uh, people close on his heels. Uh, we have uh, shout out to Farewell the Farewell and Dorky Romantic for being only one short film away from completing uh, for second place. Um, that's something like a nine. I don't have the number right in front of me, but that's something like a 97, 99% completion rate. Um, I'm guessing that the sec- the one sword film they're missing is uh, St. Louis, uh, um, St. Louis Superman. Um, so, you know, once they get those, then they'll, they'll join Somicide. And in a four-way tie for fourth place, we have Josh Sonfeld, Dice Packets, A.H. News, and Josh H., who are one sort and one feature away, um, who I believe the sort is also uh, St. Louis Superman, and Corpus Christi is probably the uh, for the, the, the feature film. Um, also, shout out to the thread uh, with So and Sandal, Dorky Romantic, and NKOAS uh, for going up to Stamford from New York, uh, you know, on Saturday for the film festival that was there that was showing uh, Corpus Christi. I totally could have gone with you guys, but I decided to play Magic instead. Um, probably shouldn't have. I didn't, I didn't do that well. But anyway... Um, yeah, shout out to them. You know, that's kind of what the community is about. Definitely. And this whole race is about, you know, doing crazy things, going out of the way to try and, uh, complete this death race. So shout out to them. Um, and yeah, the rest of us will be trying to find a way to watch St. Louis Superman. Uh, I have plans for that. Uh, and Corpus Christi, um, which I think there might be a plan for that coming out, but you know, depends on the generosity of other people. 
so yeah, so before we hop into discussing the films that I've watched, I want to want to give a brief review for uh, some more awards. Um, kind of, you know, last week I mentioned that you know it's kind of fifty fifty between Parasite and Nineteen Seventeen for winning. Um, and nineteen seventeen pretty much has solidly pulled ahead, and I I think most people's estimation for who's going to end up winning uh, best picture. Um, so you know, first up we had the American Society of Cinematographers award. Um, first place went to nineteen seventeen as expected uh, for Roger Deakins' work for that one shot take. Um, there was a special lighthouse. Uh, the lighthouse received a spotlight award. Um, so shout out to them for that. And also Honeyland, who's nominated for Best Documentary and also Best International Feature, won the award for Best Documentary. Um, for the Annie Awards, so the Annie Awards actually are not a very good indicator of the Oscars. Um, so since 2007, when the Golden Globes and the PGA both started doing awards for animated features, um, the Golden Globes has differed three times, uh, PGA Awards four times, and the Annie Awards five times. They tend to eschew, eschew, eschew um, the Disney Pixar uh, films. Um, so I believe there was like some point, some sort of contention that Wally wasn't didn't win, um, you know, the the Annie Awards uh, the year it was nominated. But in any case, Klaus, uh, who we discussed last week, won the Annie Awards, and I Lost My Body, uh, who's also nominated, won the Best Indie Award um, for there. So. We'll see. We're best best animated. I don't expect the Annie Awards to have too much of an effect, um, given that you know um, uh, Toy Story Four has been cleaning up the other awards. Um, though it will be interesting because the Golden Globes does have a better uh, indication record so far, um, and Missing Link won the Golden Globes, whereas Toy Story Four won PGA Awards. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, speaking of Toy Story 4, so the Cinema Audio Society Awards, which is, you know, sound mixing, sound editing awards, Toy Story 4 did win the best animated feature, but more relevantly, the best, uh, you know, live action feature, uh, the award went to Ford versus Ferrari. Um, so, you know, they'll probably top notch to win, uh, sound editing or sound mixing or both. Um, and yeah, the one that definitely pulled, um... It definitely pulled 1917 ahead for best uh, fe- best best picture as uh, the DGA Award. So uh, Sam Mendes won 19 for 1917 at the DGA Awards for best director. Um, so notably, so you know, looking at the stats real quick, you know, so he did beat out Bong Joon Ho, who was kind of the uh, other person people were hoping to win, um, especially if they would give him a better chance for best picture. Um, so you know, out of the last 16 16 awards. Um, you know, of the of the DGA award, fifteen have won best director at the Oscars. So Sam Mendes is probably a favorite for that. Um, and notably, twelve out of sixteen have won best picture overall. Um, though, however, in recent years, um, only two out of the last six best directors for the Oscars, uh, and and the and no, sorry, two of the best six for um, the DGA award have gone on to win best picture. Now that one of those two did include Birdman, which was another kind of one take movie, so we'll see where that pans out. Um, also notably uh, for documentary, American Factory won uh, best directing um, for for documentary. So shout out to them for that. Um, other awards between now and next episode, uh, as I'm recording right now, the Costume Designer Guild Awards are going on. I believe those was following maybe production design, um, or was there, is there a costume category? I don't think there is. I don't know. I'm 
too tired to, to, to look it up um tomorrow january 20 or i guess later today when this uh podcast comes out is the vi- the video effect visual effects awards um so we'll see who's kind of in the lead for that one um the art director guild awards uh, january or february 1st and probably the last two big awards before the final um the the oscars themselves uh, or at least before next week um are the wga awards um so we'll see if once upon a time in hollywood or actually i don't think that's eligible for it so it might be just uh uh a parasite getting winning getting hopefully winning with the, the wga awards and then the bafta awards who kind of the last big awards um coming out february 2nd so uh, i'll report on those next episode um but for now let's hop into talking about the best uh the films that i've been talking about or been watching uh past couple of weeks so this week we have mostly international and documentary features actually to watch. Um, so you know we'll we'll just hop into it. Uh, first up we have Pain and Glory, um, who is nominated for best international film out of Spain, um, and also nominated for best actor for Antonio Banderas. Um, I watched just January seventeenth at the Angelica Film Theater here in New York. So uh, Pain and Glory, I wasn't really didn't really know what to expect going into this. Um, but wow, that was actually a really amazing film. Um, and, you know, if Parasite wasn't in the running, it actually probably would have been uh, my pick for best picture so far or best international uh, picture so far. Um, it really, this one really does le- lean on Antonio Mendez's performance. And I think he definitely is fully deserving of his best actor nomination. Um, just what he portrays as you know, an aging director coming to grips with, you know, his body and his inability to pursue his craft and, 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 you know, wrestling with the past and the decisions he made and the relationships and maybe bridges he might have burned in the past and how it all comes back. And, um, you know, this this is one kind of partially told in flashbacks. Um, And so, but the fact that they're able to make it convincingly that, you know, the young boy who ends up playing him and the experience and you can, it really he you can tell that Banderas is an amazing actor for being able to to portray you know this lived fully realized character um one thing also nicely and, and I was listening to the uh the GA podcast which I recommended a couple of weeks ago for this but the way in which you know each vignette or each segment of his something coming from his past and, and reaching out to him i really think this is actually really well written as well um i don't know if it would have been for best uh best best screenplay but i really liked the way that it was structured together and kind of how it wraps all together at the very end you know um you know small spoilers here basically he ends up you know overcoming addiction and also you know doing rehabilitation to to really work to try to get back into his craft and he finds his inspiration again and some of the flashbacks that you see actually end up being him filming you know something based on his childhood so i think you know this kind of leans a little bit into oscar bait is territory where oscars tend like films that are about making film right so like um you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is definitely a lot like about that. La La Land was about that. This year, Ford versus Ferrari, you can kind of see as an allegory for filmmaking and the creative pursuits. Um, so something like, you know, uh, Pain and Glory, talking about, you know, directors and directors wanting to create films, I think definitely um, makes a strong case for that. Um, that said, you know, unfor- like, unfortunately for Banderas, I think, 
you know, Joaquin Phoenix pretty much has the best actor, you know, locked up. But he definitely would have been a strong contender in any other year, I think. Um, next up, we had Les Miserables, which is the French Best International Feature Film. Uh, saw this on uh, Martin Luther King Day, um, January 20th, had the day off. Uh, also at the Angelica Film Theater. Um, so this is not related. Well, there is a, there are allusions to it, but it is not you know, set in the same universe as the Victor Hugo novel. Although, I guess if the Victor Hugo novel is set in, like, you know, our world and in this particular time, I guess technically it is? I don't know. Anyway, um, so, you know, this basically is a kind of a police drama. If you can call it that, it's basically highlighting the day in the life of a new policeman who's joined the squad that kind of uh explores this hood in uh in paris basically um and kind of the events of that day you know i think with everything going on in in the climate especially here in the states about police brutality and 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 holding police accountable for their actions um and you know minorities of color kind of being trapped uh and feeling trapped and and not being like they can trust the police i think that that resonates fairly strongly here um i've heard that Portrait of a Lady in Fire sort of been the nominee for France. And I can't, again, I haven't seen that movie, so I can't really say too much. Um, I don't know. This was very. At, at the end of the day, this film basically. It's almost quite, like some of the. Whoever you see as like the bad. Like, no one in the film is completely good, right? And I think that ambiguity of, you know, on both sides. But then at the same time, there's also, you know, I think that they they try to make some of the some of the characters a little bit almost cartoonishly bad, um, which I don't know how how I feel about that, um, and and I think the ending I I can see what they were trying to do and trying to so at basically at the ending there's essentially it it and it concludes in the middle of almost like this conflict and you know this one character who had been wronged by the police earlier in the movie, you know, comes out and is almost about to, you know, escalate the conflict even further. And it kind of ends before you know what actually ends up happening. It's up to you to kind of interpret that, basically. And I can see what they were going for there. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't think the film quite landed for me personally um, with where it wanted to be and what it wanted to say. So um, that's Les Miserables. Um, I don't know. Something about these fence films by based on the works by Victor Hugo. I just don't know if 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 they're for me. I didn't really enjoy the live action uh Hugh Jackman uh performance of Lamy Swab. Watching it on Broadway is fine, but yeah. Anyway, um next up we have North Macedonia submission for Best International Feature. Um Honeyland, which actually ended up also being nominated for Best Documentary. Uh shout out to Neon who also distributed um Parasite. They distributed this film as well. Um, I watched this January 27th uh, on Hulu. So, you know, that this one's definitely an easy one for you to be able to watch when you get home. Um, so, as, as I understand it, this film was originally intended to kind of just be a short film documentary about, you know, that particular region of North Macedonia, which sponsors it from the government. But over time, it ended up becoming a four-year endeavor, kind of highlighting the work of this... Um, traditional beekeeper in the region um and just kind of her life and how it's kind of interrupted by this nomad family um 
that comes down that comes in and, and and at first it seems they're going to bring you know take her away like remove her solitude but then you know the what they end up making their own way of um they end up making their own way of trying to make honey as well but you know they don't follow her practices and it's almost like a science experiment where you see their practice versus her practice but also in a way where you know this things ha- this film does have things to say about mankind's interaction with the environment, mankind's relationship with with nature. Um, you know, there's this one line where you know she she kind of as a mantra repeats half for me, half for you, or she leaves half the the honey that she collects from the beehives for the bees and, and trying to do it in a sustainable way. Whereas you know the the family next that comes next door ends up taking all their honey and from their bees and the, that causes their bees to attack um, the, the traditional beekeeper's bees. So as far as a piece of filmmaking goes, you know, this definitely was a great one of that. Um, I don't know if I would call it the most enjoyable film, perhaps. Um, not necessarily one I, I feel like I want to go back and look over, but definitely like, especially some of the cinematography, like I mentioned earlier, I think Believe It won for that um, at the at ASC. Um, and yeah, some of the shots and the way that they frame things and, and, and pace it all out was definitely um, worth studying and looking over again. So that's a good place as any to transition from the uh, international films um, to documentary films since, you know, Honeyland is both. So, you know, next up we have uh, American Factory um, that was filmed, that I, that I watched on January 27th, um, also uh, this time on Netflix. Um, so, you know, this is a film, the first film actually by the Obama's um, production company, um, Higher Ground. Um, and, you know, in his last day in, as president, you know, one of the closing speeches he made was about... Um, the threat of automation uh, to the American worker, um, hashtag make America think harder. Um, but, you know, I thought this film would be about that, but actually it, it ended up being more about this. Um, so basically it follows the story of this factory where I believe the filmmakers had actually done a prior documentary on the exact same factory building when it was about the closing of the GM factory that, that used to be in there. And then, um, you know, so a couple years later, 20. 13, I believe. Um, but the film, I think, starts in like 2015 or so. Um, uh, Fuyao, uh, which is a Chinese automobile glass company, uh, begins investing uh, in this factory in Dayton, Ohio, and, you know, begins growing its workforce there and so on. And in a lot of ways, it's about the culture class between, you know, a lot of the engineers and supervisors uh, at the factory. Almost all of them, I believe, are actually uh, from China, uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of men and, and women who, um, had families back home, but they end up leaving them for two years to come work at this factory for Fuyao. Um, and then a lot of the, you know, line workers are former factory workers. Um, you know, a lot of former union workers who, uh, uh, you know, didn't have jobs after GM closed down and now are having a job often out of faction of the of the sal of the hourly salary that they were previously making, and kind of the culture class, you know, there's the Chinese work ethic. You know, if you've ever worked in Asia, you know that you know working many many overtime hours, maybe working six or seven, like six even seven days a week um, for extended periods of time, um, and also 
a lot a large part of you know you know something you know when they say when you're looking for a company um that if, if they call you family that's kind of an excuse almost to like you know overwork you to a degree but you know um kind of a grain of salt you know a lot of people here in the states maybe they're in an industry or a career they're doing just to make money the way it's presented at least in the film is that the the, the chinese culture of work um is about the collective and you know there's this one particular scene that really struck me where they uh, some of the super american supervisors you know travel to a fuyao factory in china uh, for I believe the New Year celebration, and there are these songs and dances about lean manufacturing and quality control and high yield outputs or whatever. Um, you know, so you know that all that kind of lifestyle where it, it the work pervades your life, where you live to work, you know, as opposed to working to live. Um, and you know, the film also documents this uh, this this case of, of the UAW and, and unions trying to create, you know, working safer, better working conditions. And they end up failing to form a union there. So, you know, a little bit of commentary on that. And it follows some of the, um, it follows a lot of the workers there from when they first joined and how they feel about their Chinese supervisors to down the line, basically. Um, this is definitely a very thought provoking film. Um, Especially, you know, if you if you are paying attention to anything that's happening in the economy and in politics right now, um, and kind of you know, below what seemed to be a great, you know, like, and also, kind of in a in a world where China is going to be a larger and larger larger influence um, in in you know the economy, worldwide economy. I mean, you know. As I'm recording this, the uh, the coronavirus from Wuhan. Um, you know, it's just this last weekend was Chinese New Lunar New Year, and it ended up that you know China China closed down all ten thousand of their theaters um, in in the country to kind of prevent the spread of the the disease. That's going to have huge effects for the box office industry and here here not just not just for them specifically. I mean, you know, last year that that single weekend was responsible for ten percent, I believe, of all. Chinese box office for 2019 but because you know there were seven films I believe coming out that this past weekend in China most of them if not all of them sequels to huge films uh, in Chinese box office history you know many sequels to top 10 of all-time films um, those are going to get pushed back which means that Hollywood films in China are going to get pushed back or canceled or have sword and release windows so this could be easily a billion dollar or more loss to the global box office for 2020, um, which, you know, without Avengers this year is looking to be a lot smaller than it was last year. So this could be a pretty bad year for the box office, you know, minor rant and ramble about box office stuff and how it relates to, you know, uh, to movies in general, but this is like a movie podcast, right? So, um, yeah, kind of the, the ideas and, and cultures of as China becomes more and more globally present and has more and more investments, you know how does how is it going? How are they going to relate with the U.S. and Western countries and their ideals of, you know, what they value, um, you know, their ideas and thoughts on works and the way the economy works and how will can, how will things compete and, and work alongside each other? Anyway, um, next up we have uh, Edge of Democracy. Um, I watched this January twenty eighth on Netflix. Um, so this kind of 
tells the story of kind of the cluster cluster F that is Brazilian politics over the past the past two decades more or less. Um, it's pretty fascinating, actually. I actually hadn't uh, heard a lot about Brazilian politics. Um, probably a blind spot of mine, to be honest. Um, and kind of the story of the rise of the Workers' Party with this this charismatic figure called Lula, um, and then how the right wing parties almost how it parallels the rise of right wing politics, not only you know here in the states but also in Britain with Brexit and in the Philippines where I'm from with Duterte, and kind of all of these how it's part of a global movement of of right wing nationalism rising up and a, and a pushback against you know more liberal you know some would say socialist uh, politics. Um, uh, anyway, without getting into that, the the uh, the filmmaker you know ties a lot of it back to her own personal family history, her parents being, you know, revolutionaries who had fought on the side of the worker party, her grandfather being one of the landed, you know, contractors who um, apparently are very, you know, influential within politics. Um, Kind of almost watching this made, you know, with, you know, all the stuff about impeachment going on now here in the States and watching the impeachment process that had happened a couple, several years ago in Brazil, honestly, like it, almost kind of made me believe that like at least our like the politics and the judiciary system here is not I don't know if it's as bad or whatnot, but it's definitely very different. Um so at least that was very educational, which I guess documentaries are meant to do. Um I don't know if the super personal approach worked. And maybe that's just because in comparison to the next film, a lot of the connections that the filmmaker made, I didn't really get of who this filmmaker was as an individual. Um though her ability to get almost unparalleled access to the former presidents um, here. It was phenomenal. Um, anyway, um, speaking of the the other film that's like kind of very personal, um, the last film I watched for this this episode is uh, For, For Sama, or For Sama, however you pronounce it, um, which is January, I watched it on 28th on pbs.org, so streaming online. I believe it's also on YouTube too. So this one tells the story of... Aleppo, which is, you know, the town of Syria that was, you know, had the um, the regime with, with Russian support, you know, essentially sieging the, as, as the, as the filmmaker here tells, sieging the freedom fighters who want to have, like, an independent Aleppo. And, you know, so this, uh, the, the filmmaker here, you know, was a university student, got involved in the, the revolution, um, fell in love with, married, you know, one of the few last doctors, last doctors in Aleppo. Um, and she was just documenting what life was like in there. She, I believe looking up afterwards, she received an Emmy for her journalism work here. And it kind of just tells the story of her giving birth to her child, Sama, Sama, I think it was Sama, they pronounced it in the film. Um, and just life in Aleppo. And it is very eye-opening, you know, especially to that this is happening right now or was happening, you know, at the same time that I was alive in the world, these like atrocities. And I think this film, in my head, I think this one, honestly, because for, uh, because Apollo 11 was not nominated, this probably was the best documentary that I've seen uh, from the nominees from this year. So this will be my pick for best documentary film, I believe, um, personally anyway. Um it's like a very harrowing experience, but it's a very human one as well, I think. Um, kind of depressing, honestly, but, you know, um, I mean, spoilers for a real-life scenario. Like, he ends up getting out um, and is alive now and well, which is good. But, yeah, I mean, 
this one was a kind of a tough watch to, to do. Um, this one scene was, I believe, you know, it's the end of the back, posting to Facebook this video of her her husband helping revive a pregnant woman and the birth and her child who had come out, you know, not breathing without a pulse and reviving the child and kind of paralleling that with her own experience raising her child in the war zone. This is super intense. So that one's definitely a thinker um, and one to watch over. So, yeah. Um, in any case, um, so that was six films for this episode. Um, again, I'm at currently uh, 31 films. Um, I already, so for films coming up, I already have my tickets booked for four screenings at the IFC Center here in New York for this weekend. Um, I'll be watching the sort, live action sorts, uh, this Saturday. Um, they're in two segments, A and B, I believe two and three films respectively. And then on Sunday, I'll be coming back and watching five and five, the live action sorts and the animated sorts. That'd be 15 films. So in addition to the 31 I'll have, That'll put me at 46. Um, with 30, with 53 films, I believe that leaves uh, six films for me to watch. Um, one, two, three, six or seven, I think. Um, in any case, yeah. Um, 30, 53 minus, I'll be at 36. Yeah, that'll be seven films for me to watch. Um, so what do I need to watch aside from the IFC sort films? Um, so I have to watch The Cave, which is a documentary Um I believe it's streaming on that geo, though. Right before I tried to record this, I tried going on and streaming it. And because I don't have TV service, I actually don't think I can log on there. So I might need to buy it, get it off of Amazon. I believe there's a screener out there, potentially, because now it's streamed. Um, in any case, uh, The Cave, which is a documentary, now finishes out the documentary category for me. Um, in the acting categories, I have to complete uh, Richard Jewell for Best Supporting Actress. Um, I believe the only way to watch that as of right now is finding a screener on the high seas. Yo ho, yo ho. Um, and then uh, I have to watch Harriet for Best Actress and Best Song. I believe this is available on Amazon, though also there are screeners I know out there on the high seas. Um, Judy for Best Actress and Best Makeup. Um, again, also Amazon or the high seas. Um, and then Maleficent, uh, which is for Best Makeup. Um this one I'm not going to go on the high seas for because this is a Disney thing and I don't want the mouse to come and break down my doors and swat me. Um, so I'm going to get this on Amazon. Um, and then uh, last two is the one that's going to screw over a lot of people, Corpus Christi. So in case you haven't heard, Corpus Christi, which is the last international film, um, is having a UK digital release on February 7th. So keep an eye out uh on the web and on the Oscars Death Race subreddit for people tra tra tracking, posting screeners on there. Um, as Goldie Rogers said in One Piece, he's left his old treasure out there in One Piece. This is our One Piece, folks. Uh, let's go get it uh, when it comes out. This will be a very tight window, February 7th. I think it's a Friday. Um, so you literally have like one or two days to watch this before the Oscars on the 9th. And as of right now, so basically for the last other best song aside from Harriet is Breakthrough, which I really don't want to watch. If I'm able to get a screener for Corpus Christi, I will complete my death race by watching Breakthrough. Otherwise, I'm not going to put myself through that. But that is what it is. So here we go. Um, the end is in sight. 15 films are then get done by this weekend for sure. All my sword films. And then, um, you know, if I watch a film a day, a uh, film every... Uh, yeah, about film it every day and a half or so... Uh, I should be able to get, you know, through everything here. So, um, 
yeah, that's the Oscars death face. So what else have I been watching? Let me let me pull up my letter box and, and take a look at what I've been looking at. Um, so in addition to this, what else have I been watching? Um, randomly, you know, uh, I, I ended up watching uh, One Child Mason on HBO, I think, or Amazon, somewhere one of the streaming services, was not nominated for an Oscar. I believe it was, might have made the sort list. Um, and then uh, also, uh, this was... I could have talked about this last week, but I didn't. Um, I ended up watching Underwater, which is the Kristen Stewart film. Um, you know, my take on that, definitely not Oscar material. Um, honestly, it's probably... It was like they were trying to do the badass female sci-fi protagonist uh, in, like, an isolated environment with some otherworldly alien beings, you know, underwater, kind of like Alien with uh, Sigourney Weaver by, by Ridley Scott. Frankly, they didn't quite, they didn't really stick that landing, so unfortunate there. Um, but yeah, I mean, what else do I have coming up? Uh, and what else do I want to watch? I kind of want to watch, um, I haven't had a chance to get around the Uncut Gems, which, you know, I've heard is, is, has been the major snub uh, this go-around, and then I also have heard a lot of good things about um, The Gentleman um, by Guy Ritchie, which I kind of want to watch, um, as well as, so Confession, I've never watched any of the Bad Boy movies, but I've been told I really should, and then, you know, for the past two weeks, Bad Boys for Life has been top at the box office, so maybe that's actually worth checking out. Um, and then, in addition, there's actually an anime film, I believe it's called um, in Wonderland, um, by the director who did Miss Hokusai, um, so that's going to be on Monday, so, you know, lots of movies, you know, Saturday, Sunday, the IFC short films, and then, um, watching for, uh, In Wonderland on, on Monday at the Village East Cinema Center, so, um, I believe, you know, that basically puts me at somewhere close to 20 films for January, so I'm definitely well on my way to over 100 films, uh, this year, as, as was my New Year's resolution. Uh, anyway, you know, this is a bit of a sort of episode, but I'm not going to drag it out too long. Last week was long, so we kind of balance out. Um, next week, you know, again, we still have the 15 short films plus the seven. Um, even if I don't watch all seven other films by next week, um, I'll definitely have a lot to talk about. And yeah, we should be able to finish out this death race. So as always, um, so thanks for you for listening. Make sure you check out the Oscars death race subreddit, as well as, you know, shout outs to our movies and ours Oscar race. Um, for discussion about Oscars, Oscars Death Race, who's likely to win Best Picture, and any other categories. Um, you know, if you like the show, give it a review on iTunes, Google Play, um, wherever you download this from. Um, you can follow me on Letterboxd, um, which I'll link in the show notes. Um, and as always, special thanks to Kevin MacLeod for the intro and outro music. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Uh, this has been a Ninja Boy Media Productions. Uh, and this is, yeah. So thanks again. This has been the Oscars Death Race podcast. And remember, keep watching movies uh, until the final credits roll. Uh, until next week, guys. Good luck with your races. Please give us uh, Corpus Christi. All right. And St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Superman. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.